we come on to uh, chapter 9 um, on Dhammaranupassana, contemplation of Dhammas. The next contemplation in the Satipatthana Sutta is concerned with a specific set of mental qualities, the five hindrances. These come as the first among the contemplations of Dhammas, quote-unquote. Before embarking on a closer inspection of this exercise, I will examine the implications of the term dhammas in order to provide some background to the exercises listed under this fourth and last Satipatthana. The Pali term dhamma, uh, with a small d, can assume a variety of meanings depending on the context in which it occurs. Most translators take the term dhammas in the Satipatthana Sutta to mean mental objects. So that's how it's usually translated in uh, various different uh, English uh, renderings. In the sense of whatever can become an object of the mind, in contradistinction to the objects of the other five senses. In regard to Satipatthana, however, this rendering appears strange. If the term dhammas, quote-unquote, were to refer to objects of the mind, quote-unquote, then the other three satipatthanas should also be included here, since they too can become objects of the mind. Moreover, one of the exercises listed under the fourth satipatthana is contemplation of the six senses together with their respective objects. So, this contemplation of dhammas is not confined to the objects of the mind as the sixth sense only. In fact, the dhammas listed in the fourth satipatthana, such as the hindrances and the aggregates, etc., do not naturally evoke the classification mental objects. <clears throat> so this is a frequently um, discussed issue, and one that's been uh, say, uh, a subject of debate probably for two and a half thousand years. Um, <coughs> And so uh, uh, he, um, uh, and, this, and the way he puts that there is exactly the same kind of consideration that, that I felt in relationship uh, uh, to this. Um, and then he explores what, uh, uh, say, might be a more helpful perspective on it, and also how uh, the Satipatthana Sutta relates to the uh, Anapanasati Sutta, the discourse on mindfulness of breathing, because that also is structured around the four satipatthanas, uh, and uh, and so the, the way and the phraseology that you have in the mindfulness of breathing sutta, Anapanasati sutta, is uh, very um, sort of informative and, and gives a, a very helpful perspective on this particular satipatthana uh, in the, in relationship to this sutta. What this satipatthana is actually concerned with are specific mental qualities, such as the five hindrances or the seven factors of awakening, and analyses of experience into specific categories, such as the five aggregates, the six sense spheres, and the four noble truths. These mental factors and categories constitute central aspects of the Buddha's way of teaching, the Dhamma with a capital D. These classificatory schemes are not in themselves the objects of meditation, but constitute frameworks or points of reference to be applied during contemplation. During actual practice, 
one is to look at whatever is experienced in terms of these Dhammas. Thus the Dhammas mentioned in this Satipatthana are not, quote, mental objects, unquote, but are applied to whatever becomes an object of the mind or of any other sense door during contemplation. So that uh, effectively it means uh, Sati, the Manupasana is contemplating things, uh, contemplating experience in terms of Dhamma with a big D, using the frameworks uh, that the Buddha has, say, suggested. So the five hindrances or the absence of them, the uh, the five khandhas, the body, feeling, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness, um, uh, the which is the, the the format that he uses in the the Anattalakana Sutta, say the the uh, the second discourse, the teaching on not self. You have um, the five khandhas related to anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not self. And then the six senses, i.e., ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. Um, and uh, that's the, say the framework that the Buddha uses for the um, the fire sermon, the Adita Pariyaya Sutta. So, and then the Four Noble Truths, which is the framework that he uses for the Dhammachaka Sutta, the first. So these are suttas that we recite here quite regularly. Uh, the um, Dhammachaka Sutta, Four Noble Truths, and the Middle Way. Uh, the Anattalakana Sutta, the Five Khandhas, and Anicca Dukkha Anatta. <coughs> and then the uh, the Fire Sermon, the Six Senses, and Raga Dosa Moha, yeah, uh, uh, d- uh, Passion, Aversion, and Delusion. So... Uh, I f- uh, totally agree with um, Venerable Analio in his analysis here that what you have as a fourth, it, makes, it only really makes sense if you consider the fourth Satipatthana as, uh, as Dhammanupasana with a, a big D, like contemplating um, or developing mindfulness uh, through considering experience through these different ways of, of, uh, of framing things. So you can consider the five that are listed, the, the uh, hindrances and their absence, the um, the uh, five khandhas, the six senses, the, uh, the seven factors of enlightenment and their absence, and then the four noble truths. These are five different ways of slicing the pie, as it were, to to say look at our patterns of experience and to to reflect on on, uh, on how things uh, are formed, but using these different um, you can say different ways of slicing the pie or different lenses with which to examine our experience. Just as you have four noble truths, the the um, in the Dhammachaka Sutta or the five khandhas in the Anattalakana Sutta or the six senses in the um, uh, the uh, Aditya Pariyaya Sutta, the fire sermon, and also as he mentions also in later on in this reading, you have the the five hindrances, the five nivaranas, but the sense desire, ill will, uh, sloth and torpor, restlessness and doubt are often counterpointed with the seven factors of enlightenment, that the two sort of exist as a, a partnership. The hindrances are uh, the five hindrances um, and on the one side, and then the seven factors of enlightenment, uh, mindfulness, investigation of reality, um, uh, joy, um, uh, let's see, sati, dhammavijaya, uh, energy, joy, uh, pasadi, tranquility, uh, concentration, uh, samadhi, and upeka, equanimity, the seven factors of enlightenment. So those those two exist as a kind of partnership of the hindrances that obstruct and the, the seven factors of enlightenment that that uh, support uh, liberation. So that the the what what he's saying here, I, I feel, is a very helpful um, uh, way of speaking about it. And also, when I did 
this little book, For the Love of the World, um, which revolves around the four elements and the four foundations of mindfulness. When I did, I did in the back a couple of um, uh, translations of the these suttas, simplified and and um, uh, say um, put into more readable English, both for the Satipatthana Sutta and the um, Anapanasati Sutta, mindfulness of breathing. So when I translated this uh, this fourth Satipatthana into um, uh, into English, I I used the, the phraseology. Now, how do you uh, how do you abide contemplating mental qualities as merely mental qualities in terms of reality? So I used the phrase in terms of reality, as in sort of Dhamma with a big D. But I was sort of making a little nod to the Dhamma uh, as mental qualities uh, or mental objects um, uh, by including that as well. So that uh, I use that phrase, uh, uh, you know. Uh, mental qualities in terms of reality, as a sort of stock phrase for Dhammanupassana. So, if you if you're interested, just, there's copies of this little book around, um, and it's got a simple version of the Satipatthana Sutta and a simple version of the Anapanasati Sutta in the in the back there. <coughs> the expression. Contemplation of Dhammas, quote-unquote, occurs also in the Anapanasati Sutta, as I've been saying, in relation to the last four of the 16 steps for developing mindfulness of breathing, which are concerned with contemplating impermanence, fading away, cessation, and letting go. So that's Anicca, Viraga, Niroda, and Patinisaga. At first sight, the four steps described here appear to be quite different from the mental factors and categories listed under contemplation of Dhammas in the Satipatthana Sutta. So he's saying, yeah, maybe that looks a little bit different between Anapanasati and Satipatthana. The Buddha's reason for classifying these final four steps of mindfulness of breathing as contemplation of Dhammas was that at this more advanced point of practice, a meditator will have overcome desires and discontent thereby becoming established in equanimity. The commentaries indicate that this is a reference to the removal of the hindrances. Although taking desires and discontent to represent the whole set of the five hindrances is questionable, this explanation provides a link between the final four steps of mindfulness of breathing and the sequence of dhammas in the Satipatthana Sutta, since these begin with the hindrances. According to the commentaries, the hindrances lead the contemplations of dhammas because their removal serves as a basis for developing the comparatively sophisticated contemplations in this last Satipatthana. A further parallel between the two discourses is that the 16-step scheme for mindfulness of breathing leads to the development of the awakening factors. The, uh, so that at the end of that uh, Anapanasati Sutta, the Buddha says, how does the four foundations of mindfulness lead to the development of the seven factors of enlightenment. And then how does the, the, how do the seven factors of enlightenment lead to knowledge and liberation? Uh, so, <clears throat> Since the, the awakening factors also form part of the contemplation of Dhammas in the Satipatthana Sutta. These parallels suggest that a temporal progression towards realization could form the key aspect of the contemplation of dhammas in both cases. 
In the Satipatthana context, this progression underlies the sequential order of the mental factors and categories detailed for contemplation of Dhammas. So five hindrances leading to five aggregates, leading to the six senses, leading to the seven uh, awakening factors, leading to the, the four noble truths. And based on a sufficient degree of mental stability, through overcoming the hindrances, contemplation of Dhammas proceeds to an analysis of subjective personality in terms of the five aggregates and, on t and to an analysis of the relation between the subjective personality and the outer world in terms of the six sense spheres. These two analyses form a convenient basis for developing the awakening factors whose successful establishment constitutes a necessary conditioning for awakening. To awaken is to fully understand the Four Noble Truths as they really are, this being the final exercise among the contemplations of Dhammas and the successful culmination of Satipatthana practice. It's also, uh, so that, that, that wraps that up things quite briefly, but um, he's saying that starting off with the five hindrances, then, uh, as he puts it, that, that okay, that uh, helps the, um, uh, the mind to be uh, sort of free of, uh, of obstruction and its, its wholesome qualities, um, uh, say, given full scope. And then uh, that leads to supporting, say, the um, ana analysis of the uh, subjective personality, so the sense of, uh, you know, of, of what, uh, uh, what the, the mind and body are. And then that leads to, um, say, the uh, relationship between the subjective personality, you know, what, uh, what the mind and body are, and its relationship to the outside world, the six sense spheres leading to the development of the seven awakening factors and then to that as a basis for the full understanding of the Four Noble Truths. As with, with uh, in most Buddhist teachings, you can see yeah, there's, a, there's a sequence there, but it's not simply like uh, because of A, there is B, then because of B, there is C, because of C, there is D, but there's a, a certain amount of overlap and blurry edges between them and a bit of back and forth as well, but the, there's a, a rough sequential progression through those five um, those five aspects of the uh, that uh, fourth satipatthana also what what you have in the um, in the anapanasati sutta when it's talking about the development of the the, the fourth tetrad the fourth group of four as um, this is uh, how do you cultivate and make much of mindfulness of breathing so that it will be a great fruit and great great benefit <coughs> Um, and so then that's how it it starts <clears throat> so how do you develop mindfulness of breathing so that it brings the four foundations of mindfulness to fulfillment and then with the fourth group of four the fourth tetrad so the first just to, to, to backtrack a little bit so the first tetrad the first group of four um, the Buddha speaks about um, and developing the breath in terms of mindfulness of the body. Second group of four, uh, developing mindfulness of breathing in terms of feelings, Vedana. Um, the third tetrad, the third group of four, uh, developing mindfulness of breathing in terms of mind and, and mind states. And then the fourth tetrad is very much in terms of developing mindfulness of breathing in terms of wisdom. So I've, I've labeled these... Um, uh, body, feelings, mind, and wisdom. 
On whatever occasion you train yourself, I will breathe in and out contemplating impermanence, or I will breathe in and out contemplating dispassion, or I will breathe in and out contemplating cessation, or I will breathe in and out contemplating relinquishment. On those occasions you abide contemplating mental qualities as merely mental qualities in terms of reality, ardent, clearly aware and mindful, having put aside hankering and fretting for the world. And since you have seen with wisdom the abandoning of hankering and fretting, you are then one who regards all things with equanimity. This is how, when you cultivate and make much of mindfulness of breathing, the four foundations of mindfulness are brought to fulfilment. So there's a, a lot there in that first uh, section. So any particular questions or things need, needful of clarification? Do speak up. These, these readings are for you. They're not for me just to sit here and spout, uh, spout to the universe. So please do ask if there's anything that's, that's unclear. <coughs> James, yes. There's a difference then between this, this part of the Satipatthana and the previous ones where it's more... They're just observing as it is more, and this is more as a directing with, with contemplation as well, so that you, you, you're observing the phenomena, but you're also bringing in the, the sort of teachings of the, the like the Four Noble Truths. And yeah, it's a, it's a, that you are, the other ones, it, it speaks about arising and ceasing, you know, knowing those different, in all the other satipatthanas, the, the body and feelings and, and moods and so on. But this is, in a sense, emphasizing that, um, say, seeing them with the anicca sanya, seeing the, the, the characteristic of, of change, but also particularly using those formats of the hindrances or their absence, the um, the five khandhas or the uh, or the um, six senses or the seven factors of enlightenment or the four noble truths as a a lens to look at those particular states through, and so that's it's like a okay we're experiencing this feeling in the body or we're experiencing my face uh, the perception of my face in a mirror or I'm experiencing this uh, agitated um, mind state. And so then, okay, look, let's look at that through the Four Noble Truths, or let's look at that as just the aspects of the five khandhas, or let's look at that in terms of the factors of enlightenment. So it's like uh, using those frameworks to explore those particular mind states and to see them in terms of sort of Dhamma as a big D. Wouldn't it be good to do that always, or is it sometimes better just to observe? Well, they all have their part to play. Um, so that they, they, the other, the, that's the, 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 in a way, the most liberating of the Satipatthanas is the, the fourth one. It's like the, the active development of, of wisdom. Um, but they all work together. It's like, do you need your heart more than your liver? Do you need your, your, your lungs yeah, more than your brain? It's like, well, they, they all work together. Yeah? I just mean, because the other psychotarnas, whenever you're observing those, you could bring in the fourth to it, couldn't you? You could see it in terms of the before and over truths. If, if, you, if you can, but uh, the others, the other satipatthanas support that. It's like, you know, you, you don't just need your brain, your brain needs a blood supply. 
You know, your blood supply needs a liver to filter the blood to make sure the blood's doing what it ought to do. So that, uh, yes, you, uh, you, that, that does have a, a particular role for development of wisdom, but it also needs backup in terms of the, the other Satipatthanas of like, okay, where is your body? How are you sitting? You know, where did you leave your shoes? So it all, uh, it's like, yeah, it's an Ichi Dukkha Nata, but where the heck did I leave my shoes? You know? So that they they all work together, like the organs of the body. Okay. With the final four steps of mindfulness of breathing, however, the emphasis is mainly directed towards the insights gained through contemplation of dhammas. So, as, as I was saying, these um, these proceed from the direct experience of the impermanent nature of phenomena, anicca nupasi, to giving attention to their fading away, viraga nupasi, and cessation, nirodha nupasi. These in turn lead to detachment or letting go. Patinisaga nupasi, a state of mind fit for awakening. Contemplation of Dhammas in both the Satipatthana Sutta and the Anapanasati Sutta then indicates a temporal progression towards detachment and realization. Although the breakthrough to realization can take place while practicing any of the 16 steps of mindfulness of breathing, the final four steps appear to be specifically designed to this end. Similarly, although the realization so excuse me, similarly, although realization can take place while one is engaged in any of the Satipatthana contemplations, the final section of the Satipatthana Sutta, concerned with the contemplation of Dhammas, stands out for its particular emphasis on achieving this goal. So it's exactly as, as we are saying that that's they 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 are all necessary and they can all lead to to realization. But the 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 fourth Satipatthana and the fourth tetrad of the uh, Anapanasati Sutta they are particularly geared towards the development uh, of wisdom, and that's the the the, the specifically liberating element in, in the in the mixture. In contrast to the previous Satipatthanas, contemplation of Dhammas is particularly concerned with recognizing the conditioned nature of the phenomena under observation. In fact, the main instruction for most of the contemplations of Dhammas directly mentions conditionality, while in the previous Satipatthanas this happens only in the refrain. So that 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 uh, terminology of this is conditioned um, and this is uh, arising and passing away that that uh, only comes in the uh, in the refrain or the sort of the, that um, repeated passage um, uh, in the the fourth Satipatthana you get that sort of arising and passing element um, mentioned throughout each of the more detailed explanations. So there'll be an example in a moment with the hindrances. So in the word conditioned, also that the the uh, 
the Pali term for conditionality is idda pachayata. So idda means this, or, or, or <coughs> and uh, uh, or, or it can mean that. <laughs> so uh, the idda. Um, and uh, pachayata means condition. So uh, Ajahn Tanisro translates that uh, idda pachayata as uh, this, that, this, slash, that conditionality. Uh, so that the mind which um, de designates how this is related to that or one thing is related to another. Um, uh, Venerable Nyanamoli in uh, the life of the Buddha, he calls it specific conditionality. Uh, is the, the English uh, translation for that. But it's essentially how this is related to that, how one thing is related to to another. And then the, um, the there's a one of the Abhidhamma books is called the Book of Conditional Relations, um, and that defines like the 24 different ways that things you know that A can be related to B, that one thing relates to uh, another. And when we do the uh, funeral chanting, the Hetu Pachayo, Aramana Pachayo, that's the, the the list of these 24 sets of conditional relations. You can go and look at the Abhidhamma book, and and uh, 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 you'll probably find your eyes sort of swimming after a bit. These sort of long words um, put together in with phraseology that is very strange, even for those for whom English is their first language. That alone, those for whom English is not your first language, uh, it's pretty hard to, to to follow. But that does map out this kind of matrix of conditional relations, and it um, uh, um, it's um, all around this this quality of of how one thing affects another. So Ajahn Buddhadasa uh, spoke uh, about this um, uh, quite some extent. He would take a particular theme of Dhamma and and give talks on it and, and write books for a few years. And uh, he's written extensively about Idapachaita conditionality. And uh, not only, he has a, a kind of unique ability of both being able to speak in extraordinary detail and quote all sorts of suttas and things to, to back up his teachings, but also he can put things very, very simply. And so when talking about conditionality, he said that um, the the um, uh, one of the most um, uh, powerful insights in terms of Dhamma practice is that simple, or what supports liberation, is that recognition of this is conditioned, this is, this is the way it is, this is how things have come to be. And uh, like Ajahn Chah, he was very anti-superstition and worked hard to um, wean Thai people off amulets and uh, magical tattoos and um, a belief in the, a sort of a sacred objects and superstitions <coughs> and, uh, and such like, so that uh, they, uh, neither of them would, would go along with that very much. But he, uh, he very um, famously said to that, there is actually an amulet that will, that will protect you at all times, uh, that uh, there is a, a really potent amulet. And uh, I think, I wasn't there when he, he said this, but uh, and maybe he said it a few times, but people were very startled, like, wow, you know, Ajahn Buddha Dancer is promoting an amulet? My goodness, what's happening? Mm -hmm. He said, there is an amulet that, that is guaranteed to protect you. And this amulet has on it the words, Ben Yang Ni Eng, which means, this is the way it is. <laughs> if you just take that amulet, whatever's happening, whether it's good, bad, or neutral, or the, uh, whatever's going, whatever you're experiencing, and you look at that amulet and you read the words, 
this is the way it is that is guaranteed to help develop wisdom and to, to support your liberation. So, and that will really protect you better than anything else. So uh, there's probably a few people that were frustrated or disappointed but I'm sure there's some, some amulet manufacturers who immediately got on the case <laughs> and started printing some Benyang Ni Eng amulets. And to say, oh, these are, these are sanctified by Ajahn Buddha Dasa. He's promoting these. And these are really, really powerful. What's the super mojo in these and particular amulets? But also, those of you who've been around Lumpur Sumato's teachings for many years will know that uh, he. Uh, <coughs> The, um, there's a whole book of his Dhamma talks called The Way It Is and uh, he uh, was very uh, fond of that particular teaching and, and, uh, and over and over again in Dhamma talks he said it's like this and the one and also um, you know, various different variations so this is the way it is or it's like this or there was one uh, wonderful Dhamma talk that he gave I think it was here in this sala um, in a, during a winter retreat uh, before we had the temple and he made this great statement, which was, it's never been more like this than it is. <laughs> it's worthy of putting on an amulet or a t-shirt. It's never been more like this than it is. And What? <laughs> yes, uh, I think. <laughs> it's exactly like this, and it's never been more like this than it is. So, idapajayata, conditionality. So that is a, a core principle of uh, the the wisdom of, uh, into uh, uh, insight into into reality. The prominence of conditionality in Satipatthana brings to mind the well-known statement that quote, "One who sees dependent co-arising sees the Dhamma." And. Uh, that, interestingly enough, that's a, a phrase that Venerable Sariputta uh, quotes uh, as saying, you know, he says, as the, as the, uh, the Blessed One has said, uh, one who sees dependent uh, origination, one who sees dependent co-arising sees the Dhamma. And, um, but there's no place in the Pali Canon you can find the Buddha actually saying that. But Sariputta quotes him, so... It, uh, uh, somewhere he must have said it, but uh, it, it got missed out from somewhere from elsewhere in the canon. But uh, it, Sariputta quotes him. Let's see, it's it's in the um, uh, discourse on the elephant, the greater discourse on the elephant's footprint, uh, Sutta number twenty-eight, in the Majjhima Nikaya. If you're interested to, to look it up. And then in the footnote, Bhikkhu Bodhi says, uh, yeah, actually, Venerable Sariputta says he's quoting the Buddha, but you can't find that particular statement. He says things like, one who sees me sees the Dhamma, one who sees the Dhamma sees me, that uh, in his famous uh, statement to Vakali, Bhikkhu Vakali, but um, uh, the actual statement that one who sees dependent co-arising sees the Dhamma, you can't actually, according to Bhikkhu Bodhi, you can't find the place where the Buddha uh, says that. Such seeing, quote-unquote, pasati, of the Dhamma, may well come about through contemplating anupasati, contemplating Dhammas. A suggestion which also squares well with the acquisition of the method, the nyaya, mentioned in the direct path passage of the Satipatthana Sutta, 
as a goal of practice. So that's a bit of a complicated sentence, so I'll read that again. The prominence of conditionality in this Satipatthana brings to mind the well-known statement that one who sees dependent co-arising sees the Dhamma. Such seeing of the Dhamma may well come about through contemplating anupasati, may well come about through contemplating Dhammas. Though the seeing comes out through contemplating Dhammas, a suggestion which also squares well with the, uh, the acquisition of the method mentioned in the direct path. So when he says such seeing of the Dhamma, capital D, may well come about through contemplating Dhammas, small d. Right? So seeing the truth comes around through contemplating uh, mental objects or phenomena. Uh, thus, contemplation of dhammas, small d. This is this is a really complicated sentence, so I'll go through this slowly. I think he's enjoying being clever here, <laughs> which I can relate to. Sometimes uh, too clever for your own good. But I think it was it was so neat he couldn't resist writing it. So, <clears throat> so thus, contemplation of dhammas, small d, phenomena skillfully applies Dhammas, classificatory categories, as taught in the Dhamma, capital D, the teaching of the Buddha, during contemplation, in order to bring about an understanding of the Dhamma, small d, principle of conditionality and lead to the realization of the highest of all Dhammas, all phenomena, Nibbana. Okay, got that? <laughs> so I think it's... Uh, He's using the word Dhamma there in five different ways. I think it's five. One, two, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, so he's got five different usages of the word Dhamma all into one sentence. And it's not just to be clever, you know. And uh, I understand the sort of too clever for your own good phenomenon. <laughs> um, but I think it's also he's making a point uh, uh, and how that the what this this uh, fourth Satipatthana is doing is like the contemplation of of um, uh, ex different mental different experiences um, is applying the different through the the different categories uh, so of say five khandas six senses four noble truths and so on as taught in the Dhamma as taught in the Buddha's teaching uh, during contemplation in order to bring about an understanding of the principle of conditionality and that so the dhamma there is the the principle of conditionality which leads through that uh, that understanding to the realization of the highest of all dhammas which is nibbana so you might need to look at that in in writing to to get it but uh, it's um i think it's uh, uh in a way it's also pointing out this word is used in five distinct uh with five distinct meanings so if you have been confused, you're fully justified in that confusion. So before I go on to the hindrances, any questions? Yes. I once heard that the Bali written by doesn't have any capitals. Is it true? Correct. So this distinction is made... Well, it depends what language. Oh, yeah, it's only in, in Roman script. Because if it's written in Devanagari or Sinhala or Thai, they don't have capitals either. No. So this this play with the capitals is a play in Roman script, in, yeah. In, in, yes. So it's a later later idea. 
Um, well, uh, it's it's only later in terms of you can make that distinction between Dhamma as the Buddha's teaching or Dhamma as the actual reality. Um, you can make that distinction using the Roman alphabet and having small letters and capital letters, but the, the, the distinction in meaning is still there even if you only have Thai script or Sinhala or Devanagari or whatever. Because Pali didn't have, its, didn't have its own writing for the first 400 years. It wasn't written down at all. But it also explains the difficulty in explaining Dhammarasati as uh, to our modern language. Yeah, but it's also, in we, we have... Um, in every language, and the, the Buddha was fond of word plays, and, and every every language has its kind of tongue twisters. I'm sure they have them in Dutch, but uh, in, in English they they have, they have these sort of sentences that get passed down with word plays. Like um, a meaningful sentence is say, John, where George had 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 the teacher's approval. Yeah, you lost me. Yeah, you see, so you're supposed to be lost. If you see it written down with the commas in the in the appropriate places, it's a meaningful sentence. Like two schoolboys have submitted an uh, an essay. So John, where George had 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 the teacher's approval. <laughs> I think the five meanings of Dhamma are easy. There you go. So, but every language has its own kind of play, and you get the the Buddha was very fond of word plays and double meanings, and so that's not unique in the um, uh, in the teachings. But it's not it's not deliberately a, a word play here, like a a, a a double meaning on purpose. But he's just pointing out that. The, the word is used in these different ways, and so it, it's it's important to, to to get the okay. What's the context? How is it being used in this sentence? What's it pointing to? And then you sort of pick it up and explore it. So, that, like, uh, uh, there's a lot of words that are like that. Like the word sankara is used in a whole variety of different ways. Vijnana consciousness is also that you really have to look how is that word being used what's the the the, the flow of the sentence what's the the, the 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 subject that's being talked about because you can easily get pick up the wrong meaning and so that uh, it's uh, sometimes you have to uh, kind of <coughs> go over a sentence a few times and sometimes the translator hasn't quite understood it clearly and so you, sometimes you have to go back to the the pali and you know, go and find a pali scholar or get a few different translations and put them side by side. And go, ah, okay, that makes more sense. So, like with this, like translating dhammas very strictly as mind objects. Dhammas is mind objects, and if you're very fixed about that, then the whole fourth satipatthana is like, well, how does that work? But if you see it as contemplating in terms of the Buddha's teaching, it's like, oh, that makes more sense. So that uh, that's often what you have to do with the with the scriptures, because it's not. It's not obvious in in many many cases, and also because uh, in European languages, often the, the translators are not meditators. They're not people who are, or even not even Buddhists. So they don't have a particular, um, say, faith in the teachings or a direct experience of what the the words are talking about. So they might translate something sort of accurately according to the way the word is put together, but it misses the meaning. Because they they don't realize it's uh, 
what, what it's, it's the quality of experience that it's referring to. Like the uh, jhana was uh, in some of the early Pali text tr society translations is called musing. The first musing and the second musing and the third musing. So musing in English means like sitting in your armchair going, well I wonder, <laughs> should I... Should I wear the tweeds or should I go for the pinstripes, you know? Or shepherd's pie or soup? You know, what, what would be best? You know? sort of, that's musing, is a sort of sitting in your armchair kind of mulling things over. It's completely wrong in some respects, but it's like they, they, that was the best they could do at that time. Yeah, so they they and they put huge amounts of effort. I mean, don't shouldn't mock the people because they put incredible amounts of effort and and working with in quite unsupportive conditions. But they just it's like if you don't really know what the machine is supposed to do, you're trying to put the bits together and make the machine work. Like, well, where does this wheel go? Like, well, it looks like it might go there. We'll try that and see what happens. You know. So it's like that. You're just not quite sure where the bits go or, or how it works. Yes. And I don't quite understand how um, he's saying that conditionality can be learned better from contemplation of dhammas than from, from the other three contemplations, from the other three satipatthanas. I don't quite see. Well, it's em the fourth one is emphasizing conditionality, and particularly through everything uh, arising, everything being in a state of change, like so that that. Uh, it's an arisen thing. It's uh, so. Uh, say, for example, with the hindrances, um, he knows there is sensual desire in me. If sensual desire is not present in him, he knows there is no sensual desire in me. He knows how unarisen sensual desire can arise, how arisen sensual desire can be removed, and how future arising of removed sensual desire can be prevented. So it's like that. Each state, it's like it's an arisen thing. It has causes. What causes it? What what stops it being caused, and so on. So that that um, that quality of of anicca of uh, of change of being arisen something that arises something that passes away something that's that's conditioned and, and caused is sort of is emphasised in that fourth satipatthana. So that's why it's it's promoting the quality of wisdom, reflective wisdom, and that's that's more directly reflected in the Anapanasati Sutta, but it's it's there in this. So it's saying, look, 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 look. It's it's arisen. It's it's part, it's a, a caused and conditioned arisen quality. Okay, so five hindrances. I don't understand the had had question. The had had. Okay. So, <clears throat> so the two kids have written a school essay, <laughs> and one of them has. Used the the, uh, the 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 verb had. The other one has written had had. And so the the two essays are being compared by the teacher. So John has written had. George has written had had. So John, where George had had had, had had. <laughs> Had had, had had, had had the teacher's approval. <laughs> so the, the 
So John got the got the tick and George got the cross. I got a few of those. <laughs> that's the that's the juiciest one, I think. Uh, I kind of didn't hear or missed the five Indriya in the. They're not in there. They're not in there. Not in that list. No. Okay. Because they usually the five India are opposed to the five hindrances. Um, yeah. Not in this. No, well, in in the um, if you look in the uh, Bojanga Sangyuta, and he also talks about it here in this, it's most often the five hindrances and the seven factors of enlightenment are, are paired off against each other. So the contemplation of the five hindrances. The first of the contemplations of dhammas is, in a way, a more specific version of contemplation of states of mind, Chitanapasana, since it turns awareness to five manifestations of the three unwholesome roots, the five hindrances. In contrast to the preceding contemplation of the mind, however, contemplation of the hindrances covers not only the presence or absence of a hindrance, but also the conditions underlying the presence or absence of each hindrance. In my exploration, I will follow the two-stage pattern of this instruction, by focusing initially on the five hindrances and the importance of recognizing them, and considering subsequently the conditions for their presence or absence. Satipatthana instructions for contemplating the hindrances are, if sensual desire is present in him, he knows. There is sensual desire in me. If sensual desire is not present in him, he knows there is no sensual desire in me. And he knows how unarisen sensual desire can arise, how arisen sensual desire can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed sensual desire can be prevented. If aversion is present in him, he knows. If sloth and torpor is present in him, he knows. If restlessness and worry is present in him, he knows. If doubt is present in him, he knows. So the same pattern of um, uh, reflection with each of those. And then uh, for the last one, I'll just read that in full as well. If doubt is present in him, he knows. There is doubt in me. If doubt is not present in him, he knows. There is no doubt in me. And he knows how unarisen doubt can arise, how arisen doubt can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed doubt can be prevented. The use of the term hindrance, nivarana, clearly indicates why these mental qualities have been singled out for special attention. They hinder, quote-unquote, the proper functioning of the mind. Under the influence of the hindrances, one is unable to understand one's own good or that of others, or to gain concentration or insight. So they, the nivaranas are hindering, they're obstructing, blocking, um, both seeing what's, what's helpful, what's unhelpful, and, and also they, they hinder samadhi, and, uh, concentration, and also insight, vipassana. Learning to withstand the impact of a hindrance with awareness is therefore an important skill for one's progress on the path. According to the discourses, 
Difficulties in counterbalancing a hindrance are a good reason for approaching an experienced meditator to ask for practical guidance. So, when you are dealing with sloth and torpor, dullness, when you are dealing with restlessness or doubt or a sense desire or ill will, then that's a, the, the, the Buddha pointed out that's a good opportunity to go and seek a spiritual friend to, to give uh, to give guidance and to help you. These five hindrances actually cover seven distinct mental qualities. That these seven are subsumed under a five-fold presentation is probably due to the similarities in effect and character between sloth, and tina and torpor, mida, and between restlessness, udacha, and worry, kukucha. So those, those are like paired terms. So what we call uh, sloth and torpor is tina-mita. So it's a pair of terms, tina and mita. And then uh, restlessness and worry, uh, udacha kukucha is two, uh, two separate terms, udacha and kukucha. So that they get mushed together as, and they're both uh, they, single qualities that are made up of, of two distinct parts. According to the commentaries, this fivefold presentation makes it possible to correlate each hindrance with one of the five mental factors needed to attain absorption, a jhana. And he provides an enormously long footnote on that, but then says actually there's only one sutta where the two are, uh, are related to each other in the Majjhima Nikaya, and even there they don't actually line up each hindrance with each jhana factor, but uh, the, the, um, the commentaries have decided to try and make those connections. And I do that kind of thing myself, so I can relate to that and understand how one does that, but it's not something that's particularly based in, in the Buddha's teaching. So uh, it's, it's like, um, well, are there five hindrances or are there seven hindrances? And it's like with the Buddha speaking about feelings, he can say, well, there's two kinds of feeling or three kinds of feeling or six kinds of feeling or... or, or um, or you you know you can say that there are eighteen kinds of feeling or thirty six kinds of feeling or one hundred and eight kinds of feeling you know so you can slice the pie in all sorts of different ways. <clears throat> the hindrances not only obstruct absorption attainment, they also impede the establishment of the awakening factors, the bojanga, or also called the factors of enlightenment. This antagonistic relationship between the hindrances and the awakening factors is of considerable importance, since the removal of the former and the development of the latter are necessary conditions for realization. And uh, you have a number of suttas where the Buddha, the, so the, the, the five hindrances and the uh, seven factors of enlightenment are, are, are paired together. So there's, there's um, one particular sutta where the Buddha talks about nourishing the factors of enlightenment and, and starving the hindrances, uh, or uh, so feeding and starving, and that is... If you're interested, these are all in the Bojanga Sangyutta, the, the connected discourses about the, the factors of enlightenment. So that one, feeding and starving, uh, is found there um, in Sutta number 51 in the Bojanga Sangyutta. That's, so it's uh, Sangyutta 46 is the Bojanga Sangyutta, Sutta number 51. Um, Sangyutta Nikaya section 46 Sutta 51 um, so they're, and they're feeding and starving and so you're, if you end up feeding the hindrances and starving the factors of enlightenment that is the wrong direction 
Though the two sets of similes in the discourses depict the specific character and effect of the five hindrances. The first set of similes illustrates the effect of each hindrance through the image of a bowl filled with water and used to mirror you uh, sorry and used as a mirror in order to look at the reflection of one's face. And this is called the Sangharava Sutta and it's a, a discourse is one of these examples of where the Buddha chose a, a, a simile that fitted the character of the person he was talking to. So Sangharava was a Brahmin uh, who um, his practice was ritual purification through bathing. through And so he was like a, a water yogi. And so the Buddha used images of water. And then Sangharava, it starts off the Sutta saying, um, why is it that some uh, of the verses that I am supposed to learn from my scriptures, some of them are easy to remember and some of them are really hard to remember. You know, why do I forget? Why is it impossible to learn some of these these sutras? And then the Buddha talks about the, the five hindrances. Uh, and so he's using these images of water to for uh, a person for whom rit ritual bathing and water was of great importance. According uh, so that's a Sangharava Sutta. It's in the um, connected discourses, um, and that is in the same section on the Bojangas uh, forty-six. Sutta number 55, Sangharava. According to these similes, the effect of sensual desire is similar to water mixed with dye, so red or green or blue or yellow. Aversion, Biapada, resembles water heated to the boil, so uh, if the water is bubbling and, uh, and uh, boiling, then it's, you can't see your face reflected in it. Sloth and torpor, tinamida, is compared to water overgrown with algae, so water covered with pondweed and, and uh, scum. You can't see your face clearly in it. Scummy water. Restlessness and worry, udacha kukucha, affect the mind like water stirred up by the wind, so if the water is wavy and, uh, and stirred up by the passage of, of air, then you can't see your face clearly in it. And the last one, doubt, avichikicha, is like dark and muddy water, or actually it says uh, water that is turbid and muddy, but also uh, hidden away in a dark place. So it's not only muddy water, it's muddy water in a dark cupboard. So it's like doubly obstructive. Um, so those are the images uh, for around water. In all five cases, one is unable to see one's reflection properly in the water. These similes vividly illustrate the individual character of each, hind each hindrance. Sensual desire colors one's perception. Because of aversion, one gets heated. Sloth and torpor result in stagnation. Through restlessness and worry, one is tossed about, and doubt obscures. So, and it's always interesting how each of those um, verbs, in relationship to those, like uh, each of the qualities of water, we use those in terms of describing our emotions quite naturally. Like, I feel stagnated. I'm stagnating, right? Or I'm, uh, I'm, uh, my mind is obscured, or I'm, I'm really agitated. I'm all shook up. Uh, or I'm, I'm, I'm boiling with anger. You know. So, uh, the, um, uh, so the, the, it's interesting how those those words actually relate to our emotional states very, uh, as well as they relate to the qualities of water. The other set of similes illustrates the absence of the hindrances. And this uh, second set, this comes from uh, Majima Nikaya, Middle Length Discourses, 
the uh, Maha Asapura Sutta, Sutta number 39 in the Majima, the Greater Discourse at Asapura. According to this set, to be free from sensual desire is like uh, being relieved from a debt. So if you borrowed money and then you pay the money back and then you haven't got that debt hanging over, <sighs> being free from debt. To be free from aversion, Vipada, is like recovering from a physical illness, so that you were ill and now you've recovered, you had surgery and now you feel better. To be unobstructed by sloth and torpor is akin to being released from prison, so your mind used to always be dull and, and, and sludge-like, and it's like being locked in prison, so that your nose is always on your chest in the meditation hall. You hear the sound of snoring accompanying your anapanasati. It's, it's, uh, and you discover to your horror that it's you that's snoring. That's really embarrassing. To be free from the agitation of restlessness and worry, Udacha Kukucha, is like being liberated from slavery, like having been a slave and then freed from slavery. And then the last one, uh, to overcome doubt, uh, resembles crossing a dangerous desert safely. So crossing a desert, there's danger, hardship, being heat, uh, difficulty with food and, and being robbed and such like, and then arriving at, a, at an oasis or a caravanserai um, safely, uh, free from the dangers of the desert. This second set of similes provides additional illustrations of the hindrances. Sensual desire agitating the mind is comparable to being heavily in debt. The tension created through aversion is quite literally a dis-ease. Sloth and torpor dulls and imprisons the mind. Restlessness and worry can control the mind to such an extent that one is completely at its mercy, like enslaved to worry. Any, anybody here a, a slave of their worrying minds? I know that state. And, uh, and doubt leaves one in a state of insecurity, not knowing which way to turn. So again, the, 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 um, the words, the verbs that are, are used to describe each of the, the, the qualities of the, the five Nivaranas uh, very much uh, directly relate to to mind states as the with the same with the water images. Since the first set of similes illustrates the presence of the hindrances in terms of their debilitating effect, while the second describes the relief of being free of them, these two sets correspond to the two alternatives for contemplating the hindrances, awareness of their presence or of their absence. So uh, that's a very good point. I think that um, as this Satipatthana is developed on the presence of the hindrance and the, 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 um, what that feels like when they're there, like the, these different things that happen to the water, scummy and uh, muddy and agitated and so on. Uh, whereas the absence of hindrances is like having no debts, being a place of safety, having no illness, not being, not, not being in jail, and the, the positive feelings of, of freedom and ease that, uh, that come from that. So I think it's a, a very very well-made point that uh, Venerable Analeo makes, uh, how the, those two images, those two sets of images back up these two aspects of the contemplation of the five hindrances. So I'll leave it there for, uh, uh, for today. Um, any last questions, comments?
Okay. May you have a hindrance-free evening.